Well, this morning I should like to speak to you on the theme of death is defeated. The scripture says death is the last enemy, but I'm so thankful to know that when Jesus died on the cross, he stripped the enemy of all of his power and death is defeated. For the reading of the Easter story this morning, we're going to turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to read Matthew's account of the resurrection. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. As he said. You know, whatever Jesus says will come to pass. Even if it means he's going to die, but as he said, he will rise again. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Holy Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for the truth that Jesus rose from the dead. And we pray that through the preaching of your word today, every person who sits in this church will experience a deepening revelation of what it means to live in resurrection power because death is defeated. We thank you for your anointing upon these lips and upon the ears of every listener. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. And all of God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. amen, amen. amen. Well, during the Lenten season, how many of you have been observing Lent? I know it's typically a liturgical holiday that uh, some of the more liturgical churches observe, but I believe Lent has a place in the heart of every believer because it's a time and a season when we stop and reflect on what Jesus did for us. You know, he didn't go to the cross because there was any sin in his life. He didn't go to the cross because he was guilty of any sin that they accused him of because he was the perfect, spotless son of the living God. So during Lent, we have an opportunity to focus on the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world was laid. And during this Lenten season, Kathy and I have been blessed by reading this devotional book, Reliving 
the passion, meditations on the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus as recorded in Mark. And it was written by Walter Wangerman, who is a very published author and a great storyteller. There's a chapter in this book called Holy Saturday, where he points out that Mark, in his gospel, notes something that we don't read anywhere else in the gospels. And actually, it's a fact that is very much overlooked as we read the gospel accounts concerning the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's found in Mark 15, verse 47. Now Mary Magdalene saw where Jesus was laid. She witnessed the crucifixion, but the crucifixion is now eclipsed with the reality because there's something about burial that says this is it. This is the end. It's over. And in the heart and in the mind of Mary Magdalene, she came to the realization that Jesus is no more. The finality of death dawned upon her consciousness. And if you will allow me, I'd like to read a couple of paragraphs where the author shares Mary's thoughts as she observes Jesus's entombments. And I'd like to use these words as actually a springboard for the meditation that I want to share with you this morning. And so he writes the thoughts of Mary Magdalene. Stone cold. And the stone is closed. Where do I go from here? Nowhere. Back to the city, which is in nowhere now. The master isn't there. The master is not. Everywhere is nowhere. There's nowhere to go. What to do? I don't know what to do. Nothing. Sabbath has started. So what? So if I pray, I'll just be mouthing sounds. Nothing. And if I pray vain repetition, what then? Will heaven be offended? Well, heaven has offended me. Joseph of Arimathea's stone is like the period that stops the sentence. Boom. The story's done. And when the story is over, the very air is empty. No place for me. No home for my soul. Silence. Why do I keep standing here? It's dark. It's midnight. Everyone's going home except me. Abandoned. Nothing. Why can't I leave the tomb? Because the whole world is now a graveyard. Because the graveyard has my Lord. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Without you, I am a nothing in a nowhere. And now you are dead. My whole world is annihilated powerful monologue that graphically portrays the despair, the heart-wrenching pain, the darkness that death brings. And the sobering reality is that you and I are living in a dying world and everything that lives must die, including you and me. And there is nothing 
nothing that brings such deep sorrow and heart-wrenching pain, gut-wrenching pain, as does death, the death of one that we love. It leaves a cavernous void in our hearts. We feel like we will never, ever be the same. Wasn't it like that for Mary and Martha when their brother Lazarus died? And what compounded their sorrow was the fact that when they called Jesus to come, it seemed he ignored their desperate plea. And when he finally did arrive on the scene, Lazarus had already been buried for four days. And so Mary and Martha confront Jesus, not just with the death of Lazarus, their beloved brother, but with the death that was taking place in their own souls because they could not understand why God would let them down in the way that he did. And when they see Jesus, the first words out of their mouth, first from Mary and then from Martha, were verbatim exactly the same. Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Yes, death is a cruel enemy, but death takes many shapes, many forms, many realities as we walk the journey of life. It comes physically to those that we love, but it also comes to us in a variety of ways. It comes to us spiritually. It comes to us emotionally. It comes to us when sickness overtakes our bodies and we spend our days in debilitating pain and sleepless nights, wondering, hoping, wishing for better days, praying that those better days will soon return. Death also comes when we're confronted with what St. John of the Cross called the dark night the soul. This comes often into the life of every believer. Recently I was reading in my morning Bible reading the story of Elijah when Jezebel issued that blood-curdling sworn threat that before the sun rises on the morrow, Elijah, you will have the same fate as did the 450 prophets that you just killed. Yes, this great prophet, this great man of God who just had a showdown on Mount Carmel with 450 prophets proving that the God of Elijah is the God who is the true and living God. He called down fire from heaven that consumed the sacrifice and the altar and also licked up every ounce of the buckets of water that were poured around that altar. Yes. One day later, he's gripped with a paralyzing fear in response to Jezebel's threat. He's now dejected and despondent, still alive, but his spirit is confronted by death as we find him under a broom tree. God, it's enough. Take me home. I'm done. I can't live anymore. I don't want to live anymore. And I know that in life there are times when 
we encounter these tsunamis of trials and tribulations that seek to absolutely undo us. Some situations come into our lives that actually bring a death to our souls and we don't know how in the world we are going to keep on and keeping on because we feel hopeless and helpless. And how about in life when those grandiose dreams that we've held so dear to our hearts when they die and we where we once had visions of grandeur that we would experience this or we would achieve that and we would become this successful in life then we see that life looks something very different when our marriages begin to fail our children don't turn out the way we expect it to and our hopes get dashed and we wake up one day and Satan whispers in our ears, none of what you had ever hoped for will ever come to pass. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. I remember many, many years ago that Bill Gothard in his Institute for Basic Youth Conflicts called it the death of a vision. God expects us to live our lives with vision because surely he created all of us with a divine purpose, a purpose that only you can fulfill. But the enemy wants to rob every one of us of that divine destiny and that divine purpose. But there are circumstances that come into our lives that sometimes kill that vision. But I want you to know this morning that what the enemy intends for evil, God uses for good. For very, very often we can't ever fulfill the vision, the destiny that God has for us until we experience the dark night of the soul and the death of our vision. Do you remember Joseph, the dreamer in the Bible? God had given him dreams. He had visions of grandeur, how even his brothers would bow down before him. But he made the mistake of telling them that they became insanely jealous of him. And their jealousy was aroused with such hatred that they wanted to kill him. But instead, one day, they threw him into a pit. And when the right opportunity came along, they lifted him out of that pit and sold him into slavery. And this most beloved son of Jacob is taken to Egypt. He gets bought by Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard, and he becomes the master of his household. He does an incredible job. He's, he's loved and he's respected, but one day when Joseph, Joseph uh, Potiphar's wife advanced some sexual suggestions to Joseph and he could have very well taken advantage of the opportunity. He fled from her. And because she was scorned in that way, she reported him to Potiphar and he was immediately thrown into prison, falsely accused of doing something that he never did. There he was, seemingly rotting away in prison, until one day the cupbearer who was to Pharaoh also thrown into prison, 
who had a dream and he interprets that dream. And also the baker had a dream and he interprets that dream. And those dreams come true. And he spoke to the uh, cupbearer and he said, remember me when this dream comes true, for surely you shall be restored to Pharaoh as the cupbearer. But the Bible tells us in this sad verse of scripture that when the cupbearer was restored, he did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And most Bible scholars believe that Joseph stayed in that same prison for 12 more long years. Sometimes we feel like hopelessness has just taken over our lives. The dark night of the soul has surrounded us in its shadows and we're paralyzed and we're gripped and we're, we're defeated and we're despondent. And we look at our lives and we see how death has crept in. The death of disappointment, the death of dashed hopes, the death of the dark night of the soul, the death of our dreams and visions swept away in the darkness of Friday that moves into the eve where for the Jewish mind was the next day, the Sabbath. And there was Mary Magdalene. She had seen the horror of the crucifixion. But the finality came when she saw that they laid Jesus in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Now please indulge me as I read the epilogue to Mary's monologue, because in her deepest despair, she now hears these tender whispers to her heart. Mary, do this. Even in your despair, Observe the rituals of the Sabbath. Pray your prayers, even though they sound hollow and feel unsatisfying, because God can feel them. God is God, who made the world from nothing, and God as God can still astonish you. He can make of your mouthings a prayer, and of your groanings a hymn. Mary observe the Sabbath, prepare your spices, and then return on Sunday, even to the scene of your sorrow, expecting nothing but a corpse, planning nothing but to sigh once more and to pay your respects. One story is done indeed, my Magdalene. You're right, you've entered the dark night of the soul, but another story, one you cannot conceive of, starts at sunrise. And in this empty time between, while sadly you are preparing the spices, you are in fact being prepared. Soon you will become that holy conundrum which must baffle and antagonize the world. Mary Magdalene, a saint, come again on Sunday, Mary, and see the miracle of how God makes saints. Know the story of Mary Magdalene. She never had grandiose dreams of becoming anyone who would be noteworthy. After all, just remember her, her previous life. She never 
aspired to become well-known. Her only obsession was to be deeply and desperately in love with Jesus Christ. And isn't it amazing that Jesus knew how deeply and desperately Mary loved her? And he honored her because after he arose from the dead, the first person the scripture tells us he revealed himself to was to Mary Magdalene. The scripture is clear, Mark 16, 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. See, when Jesus comes into our life, he makes us new. He doesn't hold the past against us. Only Jesus knew how scarred and how dark and how promiscuous and how perverse the life of Mary Magdalene was. But when he came into her heart and when she fell in love with him, he saw a pure child of God and he delighted to reveal himself first to her. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those that have been ravaged by sin and tormented by demons are now raised up to the status of beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God, holding such a special place in the heart of Jesus. See, in one single moment, everything changed. John tells us that Mary Magdalene was weeping at the tomb because Jesus was not there. She clung to the hope of at least being near him, even though it was just a corpse. She just wanted to be near him. She loved him so deeply and desperately and passionately. Can you imagine the scene? She turns as she notices someone's there expecting him to be the gardener. And she asks, please tell me where you've placed him that I might go to be with him. And Jesus just says one word, Mary. Her eyes are immediately opened. The darkness of night disappears. Joy and rejoicing fills her heart. And in a moment, everything changed. Was it not so also for Mary and Martha and Lazarus when Jesus came on the scene? Lazarus, come forth. And the miracle of resurrection was displayed before all of those who were a moment ago weeping and wailing over the death of this beloved brother of Mary and Martha and friend of Jesus. Jesus, the resurrection and the life, when he comes on the scene, everything changes in a moment. In his sovereign time, Christian friends, he will bring you through. In his sovereign time and in his merciful and gracious way, he will turn your situation around. You may go be going through the dark night of the soul, as did Joseph. You might be experiencing the death of your dream and of your vision. But I want you to know, because of Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, in a moment, everything can change. 
as it did for Joseph, even though he was he went into the pit and then brought into the prison, in a moment he was promoted to the palace. And that's something that God wants each and every one of us to experience because he is the resurrection. He is the life. He wants to raise us out of our death experiences. He wants to raise us out of the depression and the darkness that Satan wants us to live our lives in and cause us to know that in Christ Jesus there is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Everything changes. And Elijah was not killed by his arch enemy, that evil, wicked queen Jezebel. But instead, that very same day, she was cast down out of the window. And the dogs in the street licked her blood instead of the prophet Elijah. Today you may be in your holy Saturday. You may see your hopes and dreams dashed. You may feel that your body is afflicted with suffering that seems there is no hope in sight. But I want to tell you, Christian friends, today, Sunday is here. Sunday is here, and everything changes. Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the life. He turns our shadows into sunshine. He mends our broken hearts. He revives hope. And he raises the dead. When Jesus comes, everything changes. Death is defeated. What is it in your life? Is it sin that is holding you in bondage? I want you to know today, Jesus is here to wash away your sin, to wash away your shame, to wash away your guilt, to come into your heart and to give you a new life, whatever your need is. As I think about Jesus as he walked the shores of Galilee, the Bible says that whenever Jesus came on the scene, everything changed. I love that old hymn that we don't sing anymore, but the verses are so powerful and I only want to share one with you. The words to that hymn, when Jesus comes, one sat alone beside the highway begging. His eyes were blind, the light he could not see. He clutched his rags and he shivered in the shadows. Then Jesus came and bade his darkness flee. For when Jesus comes, the tempter's power is broken. When Jesus comes, the tears are wiped away. He takes the gloom and he fills the life with glory. For all is changed when Jesus comes to stay. Let's bow our heads in prayer today. Will you invite Jesus to come to stay? It's Easter Sunday, perhaps some of you are here because it's the thing to do on Easter Sunday. We go to church, we observe this religious holiday, the most significant holiday on the Christian calendar. Yeah, Christmas is wonderful, but what good would Christmas be if there was no cross? And what good would the cross be if there were no resurrection? 
It's all because Jesus rose again that he sealed for us every blessing, every promise, every gift, every goodness that God wants each and every one of us to have in our lives today. When our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I wonder if there's anyone here who would say, Pastor, please pray for me. I want Jesus to come into my heart. I want him to replace the darkness with his light. I want him to lift the shadows and to bring the joy and the peace and the grace that I know that only he can bring and give. I would love to have the privilege of praying with you. Would you just slip up your hand? No one is looking around. Just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, I, I need to invite Jesus into my heart today. Yeah, I go to church and I do religious things, but I've never experienced the new birth. I've never allowed Jesus to really come into my heart. I've never owned him as my Lord and King. I've never surrendered all that I am and all that I have to Jesus. But when we do that, a miracle takes place. It's the miracle of regeneration where he lifts us out of the death and the darkness of the sin in which we were born, and he brings us into newness of life. If you're here this morning, you've never experienced that, or perhaps you're here, you once dedicated your life to Jesus, but you've drifted so far away. And maybe you're here today because you just wanted to honor a relative, but today the Spirit of God is wooing you back to himself. Will you invite him in? Will you say, Jesus, I want to rededicate my heart and life to you. I'm not going to belabor this part of the service just quickly. If there's anyone, just lift your hand. I would want to pray for you. Hallelujah. Yes, I see a hand in the back. Thank you so much. Father in heaven, we thank you that you're a God who hears and answers prayer. You're a God who is present. Thank you for Jesus who died, who gave his life, who became my substitute, who took my sin and my shame to that cross and nailed it there so that I could be free. I pray for each person here this morning, and especially for that one who raised her hand, that Lord, as she repents of her sin, as she believes in Jesus Christ, as she acknowledges you as her Lord and Savior, that you will come in to her life and do the miracle of saving her soul, writing her name in the Lamb's Book of Life, giving her the assurance that she is now a daughter of God. And for each and every one of us, I pray today that as darkness comes into our life, as surely it will, since we are living in a dark world, a world of sin and a world of shame, Lord, though you've seated us in heavenly places, you've not exempted us from the heartaches of life and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And I pray for those today who are especially in a dark season. Jesus, cause them to know that you're here right now. You're here right now to change. You're here right now to transform. You're here right now to do the miracle of raising them out of that death experience into new life in Christ Jesus. As they gaze upon you, the Son of the living God, the author and the finisher of our faith, who promised you would never leave us, never forsake us, cause them to know today that you are the resurrection and you are the life. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I want our closing anthem this morning to be He's Alive. 
He's alive and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. So stand with me as we sing this classic song that Don Francisco wrote. And let's rejoice in the reality that Jesus Christ is alive. 